Hi, it's Martin Ware here. Uh, trying to yours as always. Uh, today's episode is a bit different. We have a sound artist and designer who I've been an enormous fan of for quite a while. He works in a not dissimilar field to me, except it's more it's a convergence of sculpture, sound design, composition, exhibition work. He builds things like brand new instruments. He's a bit of a genius, to be honest. His name is Yuri Suzuki. That's Y-U-R-I Suzuki. You need to go to his website and have a look at his amazing work. He's a real sweetheart. He claims that he was inspired by the whole musical scene in the UK around about the time we were happening with the early Human League, which is very kind of him. In fact, he loves and raves about the golden era of the future, even before the, the Human League, which is really lo-fi. And a lot of the stuff he does is all about it's got a playfulness about it and it's got a uh, a mixture of high-tech and lo-fi and you know lo-fi low-tech together with a kind of beautiful kind of Japanese aesthetic visual aesthetic I strongly recommend you go to his website and have a look you will be very very impressed I've actually taken part in one of his uh, installations which was all these giant inflatable objects that you threw around and um, they created sounds but he's done all sorts and um i did mention to him during the interview that uh, I, I made the golden era of the future was made uh five years before he was born which is quite incredible anyway one of the reasons he came to the uk was because he loved the uk experimental electronic pop music scene and um it's funny because we always regarded Japan as being kind of very futuristic and Tokyo, which is where he comes from. So there you go. Funny old world, isn't it? So here he is, the master of interactive sound art, Yuri Suzuki. So, yeah, I was looking, uh, I was doing my due diligence and my research about you and um, I was looking at your amazing website. It's made me want, it's made me want to tell uh, Malcolm, you know Malcolm Garrett, do you? Yeah. Um, I haven't met him yet, but um, I, you know, I know through like a Yane, yeah, basically. Oh, right, yeah. So she, so um, he, he helps me. Uh, design my website and everything I, I'm just jealous of your website because it's, so <laughs> it's so clear and beautifully presented and anyway I was looking at all your installations and uh, I just I, I, I love your approach to uh, uh, the playfulness of what what you do and I actually saw I, I took part in one of your installations that's what oh, I was really? going to say at uh, yeah uh, we are robots um, oh really yeah 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 yeah, because I was doing a I was doing a panel there when that was on, and um, I do, as you probably know, I do um, immersive 3D sound installations. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of in a similar kind of world. Yours is much more interactive than mine, but uh, yeah. anyway, I just wanted to ask you about how you became mm -hmm. so engaged with the idea of this kind of playfulness. Mm -hmm. of your installations right. and 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 the the things you design and this kind of perfect integration of design and art and sound art 
So if you want Yeah. Um, yeah, basically it's really came from my background because I'm dyslexic, basically. And uh, I have like hardly read or like writing, actually taking a lot of time to understanding things. And it's sort of like a frustration in the museum, like some artwork is actually describe itself in the sculpture or experience the telling about everything. But that tend to be contemporary art, to be quite theoretical. You have to read the context and also something really literature. You have the understanding about content of work without reading sort of caption of the work. And that's really, for me, it's kind of really big wall to understanding, you know, kind of artwork or like design work. So I tend to be interactivity and especially with sound which is actually quite strong and also it doesn't need a description much. You just have to come in and pray something happened. And it just sort of like it became an understanding of roughly about the concept, basically what artists like also want to say. So that's really about kind of I'm interested in more about the interactivity in the installation. And on the other hand, um, more about uh, um, passion for the music for entire my life like, uh, like I would say like my dad is one of the you know he has got so much music collection and everything like including your records as well when I was ah. in Japan and um, I, I was kind of really learned kind of growing up with music then I was really passionate to be a musician in the beginning however um, because of the dyslexic problem, I couldn't read any musical score. So I kind of like gave up in the career to being a musician. And uh, I shifted into more of the electric music as well, like synthesizer, drum machine, which doesn't need much music theory, like really about idea. So that was quite revolutionary things for me. So I kind of shifted into more electric music. However, um, problem is <laughs> when I tried to be a sort of dance music producer, like I lived in Berlin, quite like short time and established a DJ wasn't really popular and I never get paid. And <laughs> so like I, <laughs> in a way, like maybe I had shifted into something else. Then like I start designing for, uh, sorry, start learning about how to design and make things after that. And which really combine music and sound aspect into more design or art context together. So that's pretty much building up, I think, practice, I think. Yeah. And um, so your love of, I mean, clearly, uh, unless I've got it completely wrong, it, a lot of a lot of your work is, is kind of, it feels like toys, essentially, mm. uh, but beautifully designed uh, pieces of interaction. It's almost where the, the interaction, the more invisible it becomes, the, the more effective it becomes. Mm. And uh, I believe uh, that is one principle for interactive artworks that I like. The other one is that uh, uh, the, the the interaction has to be clear. Mm. You know, you, you the, the 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 stuff that you do to the piece mm. that creates the interaction has to be immediately or as close as possible mm. apparent to the to the user. Because I've seen so many people who try and do the sort of things you do and it's not clear and mm. it kind of ruins it for me because it, then you end up with a situation like you were saying where people have to be given a sheet of paper to figure out what the hell's going on mm. 
I feel the same way about art in general, by the way. I don't mm. like artworks that have a big piece of extemporization going. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of art catalogues, for instance. Mm. Yeah. I, I like I, I like the in, intuitive understanding of the art, and I think that's what you mm. do really well. Yeah, and uh, as you pointed out, like sort of toy presence, like kind of simplicity in a way is quite important for me because uh, I think toys really cleverly designed um, because <clears throat> the children doesn't have a patience, no deeper understanding, but still like uh, sort of like kind of limited number of the interactions such as buttons have to intrigue them and understanding things. So kind of educational toy, like especially inspire me a lot i think yeah and i saw i saw one of the videos of your um the sound in mind exhibition that you had mm. at the design museum and there's that wonderful thing where the kids are shouting into those horns <laughs> yeah. to get the response back and i can completely relate to that level of elegant uh simplicity of of design uh, has a, pl a playful but serious depth to it. Mm. And so this idea of really making uh, human beings, without even realising it sometimes, interact with their environment is such a beautiful thing. You know, it creates connections. It creates mm. conceptual connections. And I just want to let the listeners know that um, everybody must visit uh, yurisuzuki.com and go and have a look at all the wonderful videos of the installations and the pieces that you've created. Uh, so that maybe you could even be having a look at it while we're talking. That's an idea. Um, but the, uh, because there's a lot of stuff in there that I, I, I want to cover in this in our talk now. Um, I'd, the other thing is, right, so we've got this thing about the interaction and the playfulness, and but overriding it all is this beautiful aesthetic that you possess so what if you were to put a percentage on it mm. what proportion do you think is the importance of the kind of visual aspect of your work even when you're doing things which are predominantly kind of sound you're known for your sound art. Mm -hmm. i mean you're a designer as well right so yeah. which is how does it your practice how does it what weight do you apportion between those different things? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really great question, actually, because, um, yeah, fundamentally, I'm interested in experience, experience yeah. itself. However, kind of experience could be combined between sort of like hearing sense or like sight sense in a way. So visual sense and also kind of hearing sense kind of combined together, sometimes making very strong kind of like, a, you know, effect and this impression you can give so definitely we really prioritizing kind of beauty of the um that kind of aesthetic as well um yes. so that's really we're really prioritizing like almost same level i would say yeah and do you when you do um are you a fan of minimalist music yeah, of course. Yeah, I love like minimalist. I'm kind of like a really big fan of everything in a way. I'm I love kind of quite noisy and the kind of messy stuff into like quite minimal as well. So yeah. I both yeah, sides, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you feel attracted to um, uh, kind of systems music? I mean, is there a kind of do you like rational music or do you prefer the more organic or everything? Really, I suppose. You would mm. say. 
Yeah, I think needed needed to say like I really came from like uh, like because my background is kind of I was born in Tokyo as well, quite the art show environment. So I'm really more familiar with something quite um, non organic environment mm-hmm. i would say so I, I was really into know more about order or kind of everything kind of nicely that could lined up that kind of environment i was growing up but when i moved to like i lived in a couple of different like places like including the uk sweden and everywhere has got slightly different aesthetic and uh, I'm, when i lived in sweden I, I got to learn a bit more organic or a kind of nature kind of yeah. <laughs> environment i was living so i'm more familiar with that kind of environment so it's very really hard to say but I, in general i love in the both in the way but my really guts what like center it's really came from quite systematic artificial yeah. very um you know like really like art show environment i i really grew yeah. up because it, it's very bizarre like born in tokyo i think so art yeah. show and a strange environment yeah yeah i'm very i'm very interested in the synesthetic connection between the visual world and the and the sonic yeah. world and yeah. how that how that works and i think that is extemporized really clearly in your mm. work you know so i'm very uh, in awe of that actually i wish i got that sensibility but i suppose i wasn't born in tokyo so that's probably why um just want to say that the first single that i released uh with the human league mm. uh was two years before you were born oh, yeah. <laughs> but, a funny, yeah. funny thought and you went to the rca right so you went yeah. to the um product design course yeah the round about 2005 is that right yeah I, yeah 2005 2006 time yeah around that I, time i think i did a lecture really hmm. around that time it may not have been when you were there but but i'm pretty certain it was uh, a friend of mine tom barker was one of the professors there at that time mm-hmm. and he invited me to speak on the industrial design Really? Yeah, I just it just be I was just mentioning it just in case. Ah, really? Yeah, I I passed across. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so um, you work for Pentagram now, which is an extremely uh, well-respected and uh, successful uh, design agency. Um, and you've done what I another thing about you that I love is the fact that you have got a lot of uh, commercially driven projects that are sponsored by companies and what have you. Mm. And you somehow manage to maintain the artistic integrity of what you do, despite <laughs> taking money <laughs> for this. Stuff. No, I mean, but I mean, it's serious, you know, because sometimes that can distort the outcome. Yeah. But I think people obviously come to you because they regard you as a kind of, you must be offering them something incredibly unique. Mm. for them to finance a lot of these projects is that correct yeah um i feel like incredibly lucky in the way but same time like uh, in the beginning is i was really wishing to do like more consultancy work for property for company kind of relation like uh, where imagine about my career in the beginning but in the end now the company work you know asking for something different from like what i'm doing so but very lucky to have like relation with you know, like I include many different companies like Google or Facebook or like kind of Disney or like just even like musical instruments company like Yamaha or like Roland Morg. It's they're always kind of asking what 
I'm making based on that. They really, like, in the end, very good collaboration for me. I, I hope like, I'm contributing enough for them. But Oh, I think yeah. you are. I mean, that, that, that term installation, the, uh, the, the one with the Moog modular in the shape of the, of the world map. Yeah. Blew my mind. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, that's a really nice project. I want it. I mean, I want it as an aesthetic <laughs> object, let alone the functionality of it. It's so beautiful and such a lovely, elegant, simple, but complex. If you know what I mean, it's complex yeah, yeah, yeah. under the hood. But um, I, I'm just in awe of that particular piece. I think. Um, I, so, is there only one of those in the world? I presume. Yeah, at the moment, only one, and also probably like only one sampler, like Mog produced. I think. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It samples the sounds of nature from different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continents. I, yeah, because I was hesitating in the beginning because it's not analog, synthesizer or anything. It's sampler, and uh, they yeah. are really up for it. No, we we just want to do something quite new. So like Mog basically created the first ever sampler in their career. So. That's amazing. One thing I thought about it, because I didn't fully read all the text with it when I was looking at the video, <clears throat> was you could have done something like had a live feed from around the world, you know, different mm. microphones in different environments. And 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 then that could have got around the sampler thing. Mm. You know, you could have actually had, because I mean, the, all those synths have um, audio inputs that you can mm. mutate with the filter. Absolutely. Ring modulators and all that stuff. Um, uh, so I've got a question for you. So uh, there used to be a science fiction program. It's before you were born. Mm. You've probably not seen it. Um, it's called Space Patrol, and it was uh, 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 it was like a Jerry Anderson thing. You know, like mm. a thunder, mm. it was a puppet. Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah. But it's set in space. Mm. And it was actually one of the people who used to work for Jerry Anderson did an offshoot project. And this was in the 60s. And the aesthetic of that program is very similar to a lot of the work that you do. Really? So I'm, I'm going to suggest that you go and okay. have a look at it online. It's very basic. It's in black what's and white. What's the name of Space, space Patrol. Patrol. It's really good. And the soundtrack is amazing. It's a bit like Louis and Baby Baron, you know, from uh, Forbidden yeah. Planet, that kind of thing. Um, ah. It's really interesting. Just, you know, it's got no ah, depth. Really? But it visually looks kind of, it reminded me a bit of your stuff. That's why I mentioned it. Wow. Like I, I know like Jerry Anderson, the kind of, you know, Thunderbird kind of production stuff quite a lot because uh, including a prisoner and the stuff my mom loves prisoner and then like i was the, pris the prisoner yeah prisoner yeah <laughs> my, my mom loves right. it <laughs> really well yeah. you know where that was um filmed yeah it's, it's it's like wales like some yeah 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 so it's in port marion yeah. and i i'm a, i'm i'm a kind of vip member of the prisoner society oh really it's yeah. amazing uh, and I did some. I did. Um, I did a three D sound experience. Uh -huh. Really? For for a for a festival that was there, and somebody was playing uh, Patrick McGowan. Right. And and we incorporated three dimensional sound from the episodes and everything within wow. the space in Port Merion. That's and I've, amazing. I've got multiple three uh, D sound installations at Port Merion. 
Really? Wow. Yeah. That's like such an amazing experience. I was say, it's, like a, it's like a fantasy world. Have you been wow. there? No, I've seen it. I really want to go to that festival called Number Six Festival, I think. Like they're doing... Like, Number Six, uh, that's where I, was, that's yeah, yeah. Where I performed. Yeah, the, yeah. Wow, that's, and, I'd, uh, love to, I'd love to go. But the best thing is, the best thing is, you must go, number one. It's a bit hard to get to. It takes about mm. four hours from London. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, the, uh, the best thing is, when you're a VIP member of the Prisoner Society, mm. they give you a, a cape. Like the uh, like, <laughs> wow! And you, that's so cool. and you get a special badge with a number, right? <laughs> that's super and so I'm cool. I'm number seventeen, right? Really? Which is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the other side, of, one side of me is um, is uh, 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 Jarvis Cocker. Yeah. And the other, the other side is I don't know some of the rocket. Oh, Glenn Matlock from the Sex mm-hmm. Pistols. He, there's number sixteen and eighteen. But I said I've got to have number seventeen because of him. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So I've got that at home. I don't ever wear it around the house. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big um, supporter historically uh, in various organisations, including the Arts Council. Of, the idea of interdisciplinary um, practice, mm. and they haven't. The Arts Council never really wrapped their mind around it. They're very into silos, you know. You get money for music, for theatre, for mm. you know, for uh, abstract uh, installations, whatever. But as soon as all these things start coming together, they get confused because it's like, oh, which pot does it come out of? Mm. And I'm a big believer that that uh, the future. Of um, of creativity is is this convergent space? Mm. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, I feel like in my career, like since I started my own practice like ten years ago, almost like uh, that's sort of like confusion myself how I can present like because some people say that kind of art context music and the design context and uh, for me it's everything quite flat and quite same yeah. field but in in the real world everything sort of separated in a way in terms of the exhibiting or getting funding everything's so separated in a way so i'm if you see like my website it just confused <laughs> like so many projects just checked in and very difficult for categorization that's exactly i was have been struggling in the way how I can categorize myself. So, but I really wish in the way because so many people are capable to do many things now. Like some musician started doing a lot of like uh, you know art installation, more like a creating products as well. For example, like my previous collaborator where I am, he is basically creating his own product company. And so like there's really so much like a different kind of a inter you know, disciplinary connection for the creative field. So I really wish like uh, on society or like kind of, you know, this reception of the people that really care about categorization. That's really, I'm I don't think for. they do. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I used to say uh, um, about the whole genres are a problem for me in music in general. Mm. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to break down those silos, you know, mm. Particularly in education, I do quite a lot of education work. I was a visiting professor at University of London, uh, Queen Mary mm. College, mm. their media and arts technology uh, yeah. doctorate course. And 
within three months of me uh, joining their organization, I said, you've got all these different departments that do all these different mm. things. Do you ever do collaborative projects between them? And they went, oh, no, we've not thought about that. And I'm going, mm. you know, I think we're all collaborators. I mm. think we're all de facto collaborators because pretty much the new new gen generation coming up are, have, you know, a multidisciplinary device in their pocket, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there. You know, we, we're, it's, the, it's, the, it's the lingua franca of what, what we do now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can't watch TV without doing something else on my computer, and you know, maybe writing an email. I, we're all multi, we're we're all multi-faceted beings that are normally simultaneous, simultaneously. So, anyway, to cut a long story short, I believe you are a, a, a fantastic proponent of, or an example, a shining example for people to see how low-tech and and high-tech can combine. Mm. And it, this speaks to also, um, you know, the world we want to live in, where we don't want to continue just creating stuff which mm. fills the planet. You know, yeah, yeah. the idea of upcycling, recycling, is an important thing. You know, so I, you know, the, the other beautiful project I love of yours is the 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 idea of the whatever it is the QR codes, mm. uh, the in- instrument made of things that you just look at with your phone. Yeah, play. Oh, that's such a beautiful. <laughs> and you know, and and some, you know, my guiding principle for sound installations and a lot of the work that I do is I want it to be appreciated by every genre, mm. every demographic, every ethnicity, every age. Yeah, and I think you're you're a similar kind of artist. Do you feel that way? Yeah, um, you mean like more about kind of accessing any like yeah. in general? Yeah, I think so. That, that's really down the end kind of like my work. Sometimes because I can't toy looking because that actually doesn't matter about you know like generation or you know gender or like ethnic you know ethnic like background or kind of nationality or anything that like really doesn't matter, isn't it? And for the toy sometimes, so that's kind of neutrality and more of a pick up like element of the experience is quite important also like uh, you mentioned about more about kind of analog and the digital side um i'm really uh, kind of uh, interested in kind of physical aspect because yeah, um, i really want to ask you for the question because especially for music industry like all production of the music coming to computer base for like almost 30 years ago, start put everything in the computer. But I believe most of the missing for physicality for creating something. So that's why like many hardware just booming up like the last couple of decades, I think. So I think that's something like really curious like for your perspective as well. Oh, my perspective is mm. quite, quite straightforward. I, I mm. love the physical world. Mm. I regard the digital audio workstation as a, it's too efficient mm. you know um it enables you to get ideas down quickly but the problem is that th- we all have this kind of human tendency to fall in love with the first things that we come up with yeah so i call i call it the demo syndrome mm. where people fall in love with the demo and then they try to recreate the demo in a bigger more significant way and they go oh but i like the original now i'm not saying that the original a lot of the time the original is good but yeah. when you're creating it on a 
on a computer screen inside the computer, mm. the music, there's a different part of your brain that's engaged in the process. So the visual cortex, obviously. And it, it creates a more, a less intuitive uh, interaction with the development of the music. Mm. I know so many of my students who were growing up with Garage Band, for instance, mm. which is a multiple choice yeah. drag and drop environment. Now, it's great for getting things quickly up and running mm. as a kind of rapid prototyper, if you like. But then that becomes a style in itself. Mm. There are various top 10 hits around the world in the last couple of years that, that have um, been based on garage band loops. Right. Now, that to me is the thin end of the wedge because now you end up with um, one of the biggest websites in the music world now is Spliced. Do you know about mm -hmm. Spliced? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like... Most of my students are going, I say, well, oh, that's an interesting, you know, kind of, you did well programming the um, mm. drum machines. Oh, it's from Splice. Wow. It cost $3, you know, or whatever. That's kind of um, preset world, isn't it? Everything just preset selection of the sound to make it I don't like it. Yeah. That's I quite depressing, like actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I started with um, my System 100, which is there. Yeah. Because... <laughs> And I learned, I learned all, all about how to create sound from yeah, yeah. that, you know. Because as I mentioned on the email, like I'm such a big fan of the golden hours of future, which oh, really? the kind of, you yes. know, demo tapes and the kind of experimental, but sounds so amazing in a way, like still like, uh, still like someone like producing the dance music, like that's kind of groundbreaking in our, you know, now even. So that's actually like a, limitation and you know, system 100 it can be quite a difficult operator but having something surprising sound coming in and more about idea as well so i'm really like appreciate like that album i'm listening all the time oh thank you yeah. the, the interesting thing is we had no training it were yeah. all sat all we not had any musical training either <clears throat> but the most critical thing about the system 100 is in the instruction manual at the back, <clears throat> he had a comment from the designer, mm. and it said, hey, "Please send us any patches that you you design, uh, and we'd like to hear from you." It's pre the internet, of course. And it said, "Please bear in mind there are no illegal connections." <laughs> what? <laughs> Not <great>. Connection? <laughs> no illegal connections in other words you can't you can't blow it up by plugging the wrong thing into yeah, yeah. the wrong thing <laughs> illegal and is such is a nice such, word actually <laughs> that is such a profound philosophical concept in terms of creating music yeah yeah because once you are freed from the restrictions and i regard presets on synths as yeah. being the restriction right so this is the opposite every, every time in those days if we wanted to create a kick drum, we had to start from scratch. Yeah, we knew yeah. roughly how to do it, but the, every time the kick drum would come out, it sounds slightly different, which mm. is great. Yeah, yeah. By um, or a snare, or a hi hat, or whatever. And so, we even perform live like that. So we had to have, um, you know, um, we had to have patch sheets for every song. 
It took right. us like a minute between songs to change all the <laughs> yeah. But it was often wrong, you know, so the mistakes were sometimes better. Yeah, so yeah. I'm a big fan of mistakes as well, big fan of randomness. Yeah, that's actually a really missing point for the, because I can clearly can see not much <laughs> kind of groundbreaking movement has been made for almost like 20 years, I feel like. Kind of last movement I can see is probably grime like a music movement in London and what's quite a decent one I feel yeah. but then looks like everything copied and copied and nothing really new thing coming up because partially probably like maybe like preset culture kind of invading yeah. like a music field like that's quite shame I feel it is and I, I, I put it down to a certain amount of laziness actually mm. uh, and it's not that oh young people are so lazy they're not it's just that they don't know the benefits yeah. of, of trying to stretch it out a bit yeah you know? that's the issue i tell you there are some designers that i really like in the synth field um mm. the teenage engineering i'm a big fan yeah, of yeah. products. I, I actually i used to work for teenage engineering actually. oh really Do you, yeah. you designed it well um Did I you designed the op1 no, I, I actually first OP1 has got probably 70% of sound preset made by me. <laughs> what, for the OP1? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First generation one. And preset I made it. And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then recently they updated to new sound patch now. So my patch is gone. And, uh, oh. <laughs> and also, do you know a like, product called OP Lab? like sort of extension kind of communication board for the OP1. No, uh, in fact, I, I, they, they sponsor me oh, really? uh, mm. with product. Yeah, and yeah. I'm waiting for them to send me the OP Lab. It's out of stock at the moment. Yeah, OP Lab is like just quite short like product, I think. It didn't really go a long time. But that's mainly I designed when I was in teenage engineering. Um, but <laughs> yeah, need to say like just, people in the genius in that company like especially Jasper he's just I never seen that kind of creator in my life he's he's just crazy genius person yeah I, I love I love that company and what and you know the I was talking about this to someone else the other day the thing I love most about the OP1 is when I switch it on I'm never really sure where it's going it, like an hour later where I'm going to be. Mm. Whereas the, that, that kind of um, the arrow of time for most other synths is you switch it on from a, you start from a certain point and you've got a pretty good idea where you're going to end up. Yeah. The OP one, you don't at mm. all. And the genius idea of the kind of tape simulator and the, um, yeah, this is no sequence or anything. <laughs> just yeah. tape, such a crazy, amazing idea. Oh, and, and, the, and the kind of that tombola sequencer. And yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just love it. I love it to death. And the vinyl uh, simulator. And yeah. But it, 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 it taps into the true creativity of like the sixties and seventies mm. was largely about tape manipulation. Mm. Like there's a lecture that one of the guys from, um, uh, who was involved in writing the Doctor Who theme. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, radiophonic. Yeah. yeah, it breaks it down, right? Yeah. I worked with them at some point. It breaks oh, really? it down, and and I think th there's there well, there's definitely no synthesizers on it. Mm. It's basically recordings of real 
live found sound uh sped up slowed down tuned yeah, blah yeah, blah yeah. blah the only yeah. electronic element is the lead thing that sounds like a theremin is just a mm. tuning oscillator yeah 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 <clears throat> so it just what i like is the op1 kind of taps into that thing about yeah. the tape manipulation that's exactly how I can feel as well because uh, it's quite odd, isn't it? Like just no efficiency. As yeah. As but that's actually so creative. You can do it, and uh, I love yeah, it. I love it. And yeah. philosophy is and also, do you know like really strange? Like uh, probably like not so many people know about fact of the secret feature on the OP one. Actually, you can play games as well. Have you tried? I no, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, so if you push like four button together. Shift on the four, I think. Okay, like something like secret command to play like a helicopter game like or something. E yeah, I can't find it at the moment, but I definitely can send you over tips actually where I found it. It's really fun to play. Oh, with please! Yeah. Oh, I love it. Listen, we all need a bit of fun in our lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on a serious point, it, you know, there is too much. Mm. There is not enough irony in contemporary music. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm concerned. It's all a bit too serious, you know. Mm. I love, you know, I love dramatic, serious music, but a lot of what made popular music really engaging in the '60s, '70s, '80s was a sense of fun, you know, some of it. Yeah, and a lightheartedness, and we kind of lost a lot of that, I think. Because uh, when I saw the documentary, like since Britannia, you were really like really beginning talking about the introduction almost, and uh, I feel like how advanced that time in the UK, like uh, accepting like such advanced electronic new music as pop standard, like <laughs> and also like Frank Lizard as well, such a crazy yeah. coming to pop chart. So I was really envy as because I was born like way after. Like that time, kind of time. So, like, really, um, I wish I can live that kind of time. Actually, well, it was. It was. Um, we thought at the time that we were that rock and roll was dead. Yeah, and and guitars were old fashioned. You know? mm -hmm. So it was like, here's these new entry level devices that you could afford to buy. Mm. Um, and we were came. You know, we came from poor families, so we had to buy them on, you know, higher purchase, basically. Mm you know, weekly payments. And um, we were so worried when we were performing because uh, it was the time of skinheads in the mm -hmm. late 70s. We, did, we, went right. on tour, we went on tour with Susie and the Banshees and they used to spit at the stage. Wow. Okay. We'd come off stage sometimes and, the, you know, the synthesizers were covered in spit. It was horrible. Really? Anyway, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we designed screens to stop it then. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but I, I also one thing I wanted to ask because uh, um, really like kind of documentary is kind of a all like new kind of synthesizer punk rock music kind of new music coming really almost same time but almost no yeah. connection in a way like each city in like England I think and then I noticed like most of the time like most musicians actually introducing from Kogo or Lorand synthesizer do you think that time like japan has got importing cheap product like synthesizer as any particular reason 
Uh, well, there were there were two things. One, they were new and cool. Mm. We used right. to think that everything that came from Japan was cool because mm. we had no knowledge of the of the culture, but we loved the design aesthetic. Mm. Right, and it was mysterious and it was almost alien to us, you know. Right. right Whereas right. things like Moog, they always, firstly, they were twice as expensive for a similar kind of thing. Functioning, yeah. Uh, but they were designed for musicians. Mm. I mean, professional musicians. Whereas a lot of the Roland stuff and the Korg stuff felt to me at the time like it was designed for, say, people who were at home who um, maybe in the Second World War they had a piano in their front room and mm. some music was part of their family life. Yeah. Then it turned into people who were a little bit better off had a Yamaha home organ or a... You know, some kind of really early kind of, you know, thing with a drum machine built in, mm. playing, you know, bossa nova beats and stuff. And that was like, hey, come and have a look in my front room and, you know, listen to what I can play. And it seemed to me that, that Korg and Roland were trying to sell to the general public. Mm. They weren't point that you looked at the manuals and it was all in plain language. Right, right. Whereas. Uh, if you'd have bought a Moog, <coughs> there was nobody. Um, Keith Emerson could afford a Moog, mm. right? Or a, mo a Moog modular, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where we couldn't afford that, so it was like it was like entry level. Right, it's also like a consumer electronics. Yeah, well, it was like pro right. prosu <laughs> prosumer. Wow, that's so really cool view. Actually, I never and, thought and, about it. And and there's something really engaging about the design philosophy. I, I'm just going to show you something quickly. Mm. So I've got a, this is the original um, 700S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know that. Uh, that I, and well, actually, we'll talk, I'll show you while I talk about it. That doesn't look like a, even like a synthesizer. What does it look like? It looks like something from a science fiction film. Yeah. Really, with all the daft colours, yeah, yeah, and uh, and and the and and the mo the favourite thing for me was, which was the most mysterious thing is, uh, up is off, right on the switches on the sliders. Mi the uh, min uh, the minimum is at the top, which right. is completely anti-Western. Yeah, thought. <laughs> And uh, it completely come. Look, you know, the power switch. It, 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 yeah, no, the power switch is set the right way. Yeah. But um, so things, just little things like that, really mm -hmm. made it feel like a spicy. Whereas Moog is a bit. It sounds great, mm. but it's like all for people who want to go. Woo, 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 you know, it's it's like, it like for people who wanted to show off, like Rick Wakeman or something. You know, whereas we couldn't. But you know. The fact that it was mon that was monophonic was a positive benefit to us because we yeah, couldn't. Yeah. But we were interested in creating noises. I mean, really, at that time, we'd have been happier to, if I could have af afforded it, I would have had a VCS three mm. or an EMS synthy. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, the suitcase model. Yeah. Because yeah. they were cooler still. Yeah, yeah. But these were cheap enough to buy. You know, it was like at the time I'd just got a job. 
and I had enough money to either buy a second-hand car yeah. or, or, or a synth. Mm. And I thought, all right, I want to be Eno. So uh, the car can wait. And I still can't drive. I never learned to drive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they get a good investment for the synth side of the Synth or a car. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> I made the right decision, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's really good investment, right decision. But I think it's really nice to hear the view because I was growing up in Japan. I only know perspective of the Roland or Kog or Yamaha from Japan perspective. So it's really nice to know that time how functioned that company is. Yeah, they. they um, I mean, I've read the history. There's a big coffee table book about the history mm. of Roland instruments. I mean, their design philosophy from the outset was pretty out there. I mean, it was mm. very innovative. You know, you'd read the manual, and it wasn't like teaching you how to play music. It was like, you can create the sound of a crowd yeah, yeah. by feeding the pink noise through the ring modulation, and then yeah, da 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 yeah. I'm going, oh, f- a funky frog. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, you know... And it's like it feels very, it felt very alien, but in in a very yeah engaging way. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah like a probably different design for not only muse, musical instruments, more about kind of you know sort of sound effect machine kind of like yeah, way. yeah. So it was like cute booklet or something. So to, for for you to invite people around to your home and say. Yeah, you remember I used to have that organ in my front room. Well, look at this. Look what I can do. I can create a thunderstorm, you know, <laughs> yes. and uh, stuff like that. Anyway, um, that's where we were coming from. So it was perfectly pointed towards non-musicians. Mm. Interesting. That's so cool. But that's actually really finding talents then, like like you and your generation like all musicians, like a sort of hidden talent, but because synthesizer to kind of revealing. And, and more, to the, yeah. more, more to the point, I learned how to produce records with real instruments. Mm. Uh, well, it is a real instrument, but with traditional instruments mm. through learning about sound by right. designing sound on a synthesizer. So mm. it's an interesting... Um, wow, process. that's such an amazing process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we're coming to the end. I'm going to ask you some uh, silly uh, kind of pop magazine questions now, which I do to <laughs> everyone. Um, but, um, right, so what's your favourite film or one of them? Wow, like it's a really difficult question. Um, yeah, I think that I really love one film called, do you know a film called Malcolm? Malcolm? Yeah, oh. it's an Australian film, a very bizarre, strange film about... Like one, I think he has got sort of like a disability guy, and but he has got sense of like inventing something, building crazy, amazing machine and stuff. And uh, that film is very cute, and I love it my entire life, actually. I've got to see that, I've never heard yeah, of it. Malcolm, yeah, it's a very hidden <laughs> film, nobody knows actually. Yeah. Okay, uh, favorite book, favorite book, oh, gosh, like just one of them, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you to it. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, 
I think I, I used to work for a company called, uh, not artist called Mewadenki, and probably you might know the kind of automaton, strange instrument has got ribbon control with kind of wow wow mouth. I've got one. Yes, of course. Yeah, so I, I used to work for him. Did you design that? No, I wasn't designed, unfortunately. I left after, like, I, before, before like, they invented. But they created a brilliant book about um, like fish instruments catalog. And they're artists, but they created like, based on the quite strange mechanical fish sculpture, like, wow. like 26 of them. And uh, they actually made a book about it. That's actually a really brilliant book. Um, I love it, that one. Oh, well, I'm going to have to check Yeah, that. I'll send you a link as well. Yeah, send me a link. Um, and the, a moment in your life that changed you, like an epiphanal moment? It's a really hard one. Um, or change the direction, you know. Yeah, I think different like, uh, decision to come to UK was quite good, actually, because uh, I really don't think I can make practice like what I'm doing at manage in Japan because Japan is quite conservative as a culture, the country, you know, despite so much exciting thing coming from Japan, but society itself is very conservative. So yeah. I'm quite happy to like move to England, I think. Oh, okay. That's mm. a nice thing. Um, which other musical artist or composer is your, one of your favorites? Uh, that's the toughest question because like, all like including you as well like all you know, oh, kind of came from yeah but it's <laughs> honestly like uh, Human League and it, like Heaven 17 and also you know, Depeche Mode also Daniel Miller it's all like UK electronic music entire my life like uh, inspired really? me a lot and also included not only like in the England also like Japan has the Yellow Magic Orchestra oh. and uh, Germany has Kraftwerk and also Devo from US, so all kind of synthesizer-based music yeah. musicians really core of my inspiration. Like, yeah, that's well, yeah. I, I, I'm extremely honored to talk to you. Actually. Oh, thank you. I, I on on my podcast, I talked to Jerry Jerry Casali from Diva. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and I was asking him about his love of synthesizers, and yeah, yeah. they're very underrated, Devo. I think. In, in yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes in touch with uh, Mark Mark Mazas, but sometimes yeah, right. he he's also an incredible person to talk with. It, but I think uh, really about um, when I was growing up, teenager, it's surrounding me like not much people into like synthesizer surprisingly like not many people into that when i was a teenager so probably it's only me to keep listening like your music that's really like, interesting yeah. because you know uh, all my life i've and and all my friends we've all kind of regarded japan as a place of you know of, of, of daringly futuristic technology because mm -hmm. the way it's portrayed you know yeah yeah and um so we kind of looked up to Japan as being a place where, you know, a potential version of the future, you know? Yeah, yeah, So anyway, interesting. <laughs> um, so which one of your own works are you, are you most uh, happy with, proud of? It's very really hard to say, because most of the projects are actually really, like almost like a dream project coming all the time, so, which is very really hard. Um, but still, like, uh, I feel like... Uh, was one time like it's like particularly not great work or anything but i made a project called ototo 
project, which is oh yeah yeah yeah, I like that. a kind of small PCB um, synthesizer project. Because always I'm making kind of one by sculpture or installation. That was first ever selling consumer market. So it was very good reaction. People actually I expected to using that kind of product. So it was quite changing perspective for the creation. And in fact, I'm um, keep continue making that kind of product now. It's coming this year with actually really? yeah with teenage engineering actually. So really yeah new project coming in. So well if you need any uh if you need any product testers I'm your uh, man. yeah that could define too <laughs> it would be amazing <laughs> to work with um, you anyway. Um and what's your favorite synth? Well it's hard to tell. Um like obviously like a like Morg is top yeah. of top, but as you say, it's really designed for musician in the way because I'm really <laughs> not keyboardist or something, so still really difficult to use it. But I still love the sound. But I think as a if I'm teenager, like if I don't have any money or something, if I choose one, probably like SH one one from. Oh Lola. wow! I've got a great fact, fun fact to tell you. Really? I've done. I've done maybe 40 or 50 of these interviews now and i've asked everyone what their favorite synth is yeah and no two people have said the same thing really <laughs> isn't that incredible what does that yeah. tell what does that tell us i think what it tells us is that we have a very kind of emotional uh, connection to Probably, usually our earliest synths. Yeah, yeah. To be, uh, uh, and the way that they made us feel, it's a bit like you know when you first fall in love, then you start taking drugs later on in your life to try and recreate <laughs> the uh, endorphin rush. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think it's a bit, a bit like the same with uh, with synthesizers. I'm yeah. still in love with the first ones that I started. Yeah, this one why is probably quite functional. It's not much things, but still, you can do brief quite bad strange sequence uh, arpeggiator so it can be have quite a lot of fun with it and of course op1 i love it i'm still oh, love it, it. Okay. Love yes it. it's such amazing good but and it's a tough question <laughs> so much i love for synthesizer so but, but not that the op1 is a very unusual synth in as much as it's future-proofed isn't it because yeah absolutely be upgraded and updated all the time um finally um is uh do you have any ambition that is unf unfulfilled that you'd like to uh... i think um yeah something kind of really want to do at the moment actually like designing my own synthesizer which is actually sort of i'm thinking at the moment and uh, i'm about having baby this month actually and are you yeah, yeah so a kind is of that your first yeah first one ever oh good <laughs> get some sleep now is what i reckon <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, okay, I heard it's quite just sleep all the time <laughs> But I, I'm really like wishing to do like sort of educational synthesizer for children. That's something I really want to do at the moment. Right, interesting. One thing, um, you just triggered a thought in my mind. When, um, I mean, my children are 20, 25 and 23 now, but when they were in their mummy's tummy, or Eleanor was mm. the eldest one, we used to play her music through through the right. belly and I actually wrote music for her. I've got it. Oh, really? I, Amazing. I it, and, and I did a secret experiment when she was about 12 years old. I, was play, I played it in my studio and she came in 
I didn't say anything, and she recognised it completely. Really, that's amazing. Yeah. And I never played it to her since you know before that, except right. it was in the womb. So it, anyway, it makes me think. You know, you did that thing with the um, that beautiful, the beautiful idea of the capacitance touch thing, uh, with people touching each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do maybe something to do with babies then. Yeah. So I'm just like thinking about idea, like how they could understand the music and the things. So, and also I'm like these. I'm testing a lot for echo machine for the sound of the baby's heartbeat. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful sound. <laughs> yeah, that's actually quite amazing beat, like uh, coming from yeah, there. Yeah. So I'm doing bit experiment with that too. Oh, I love all that stuff. Yeah. So what is it? Yeah, special mic- contact microphones, isn't it? Yeah. But um, well, that's it. Thank you so Amazing. much. Really, what, really nice to talk with you. What an enlightening uh, uh, and beautiful um, creative ex- uh, exchange of ideas. And um, when lockdown's finished soon, yeah. hopefully, we should meet up. Yeah, um, it would be amazing. So are you based in London? Yeah, yeah, King's Cross. Uh, at King's Cross, really. Well, mm. at, at the moment, I'm in Margate, but I'm always coming to King's Cross anyway. Yeah, yeah, nice yeah. To well, it, yeah. Oh, totally. And I'd love you to come and hear the 3D sound system that we ah, have. That would be great, too. Also, like, I'm planning like a big installation this year as well. So I definitely send you an invitation. And maybe oh, yeah, yeah. And if you ever want to do a collaboration, I yeah, it would be amazing, really. Yeah. Wow. I'd love really. it. Yeah, yeah, it was such a nice talk with you. Very yeah. excited for today. All right, man. Brilliant. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. See you later. See you. Well, there he is, Yuri Suzuki. That was a fascinating talk, I think. A lot of the stuff he makes, I'd be very, very happy to collaborate with. Um, so, um, yeah, please send me an email electronically martin at gmail.com let me know how you feel big warm welcome to our new sponsors sjm concerts simon moran they are one of britain's leading promoters they also promote our our tours generally they represent people like uh take that spice girls foo fighters coldplay stormzy muse robbie williams peter k billy eilish Adele, The Killers, Arctic Monkeys, Little Mix, amongst many others. Um, We are thrilled to be associated with them, and I can't think of a better sponsor for us. So thank you very much for your help in keeping this podcast going. So, see you for the next fantastic guest, hopefully. Bye!